Hello and welcome to the Scottish Roadscast, a podcast about Scotland's major roads, bridges and motorways. I'm John Hassel. And I'm Stuart Beard. This month, John, we're going to take a trip through the history of the M74. Specifically, we're going to discuss how, in as little as 80 years, that route grew from basically a single-track road to a multi-lane motorway, becoming one of Scotland's most strategic routes. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Yeah. You're holding a lot of material there, so I we're going to be a good one. <laughs> a lot of paper here. It's a very long road, Stuart. It is. A lot of people talk to us about the M74 and the E74. So rather than do two podcasts, we're going to do one. And we're going to discuss that one route corridor Mm -hmm. that has existed since the dawn of time. Yes. Okay. All the way from the start to basically what we have now. Yeah. Do you think think we can fit that in in an hour? I hope so. It will be a a whistle-stop tour. Um, You've done a lot of research for an hour of talking, I think. I'm I'm dubious. Well, yeah, that's a challenge. That's a challenge. Okay, I've had a look through it. Will we get straight into it? I think so. Go for it. It is one of our favourite routes. People know us will know that we often talk about the M74. Yes. We we like it. We've often spoken about the northern sections of it. The new section, the extension. Mm -hmm. And we've ignored perhaps some of the more interesting features of the southern sections. Mm -hmm. So let's... Let's, Let's... Correct that wrong, yeah. shall we? Okay. Let's have a wee discussion about it. Okay. And uh, I believe we have some listener questions at the end as well. We do. I've yep. got them looked at here. Good stuff. Okay. Well, I'm going to give you some facts, a brief overview of the M74, first of all. Okay. 90 miles long, a strategic route. As I said a, a moment ago, one of the most important roads in Scotland. It provides a key link with the rest of the UK from Scotland. More than 75% of all our cross-border traffic movements use the M74. You know, so, you know, the A1 and the other routes are just minor parts Goodness in the link me. between Scotland and England, yes. Because there's quite a few places that the roads cross the border, but yeah, well, I suppose yeah. it makes sense. It is motorway. It is, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, and, and people probably aware, it was built in a variety of sections, multiple contracts, but did you know that the vast majority of that 90 miles was built in less than 20 years? Phenomenal pace of road construction. Never seen before or since in British road building. Mm-hmm. Uh, fascinating. A lot to be said on that. So we'll probably do a bit of coverage of that. So we're going to talk about the origins of the route. Then we'll talk about how it became the A74. We'll talk briefly about the M74 Hamilton Bypass, which was the first section of M74 built. Then we're going to have a focus on the southern extensions. Yeah. Uh, and because we've not really spoken about that before, I'm going to go into a bit of detail there. Yeah. Then we'll talk a wee bit about the northern extensions, the completion and the bit before that. Not a lot of new info there, because again, we've discussed it and it's on the website as well. Although the people who, who know us, Stuart, yeah. we know we've, we've covered some of this ground before, but mm-hmm. you know, I'm really kind of thrilled to know you're going to go into detail of these rural sections oh, yeah. of the, yeah. the, the A74M, as it's known. And then we're going to have a consideration of what the future might hold. For the route as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and hopefully people will find that interesting. Okay. Anyway, the route that exists today is built on a corridor that's been in use by people since Roman times. And really that's because there is only one natural corridor between Glasgow and Carlisle. Um, there was evidence of Roman roads along many sections of that corridor, um, some of which are actually still in use. Not so much where the M74 is, but some of the roads through some of the towns and villages mm-hmm. are actually developments on that original Roman route that existed 2,000 years ago. Okay, yeah. It was developed by the Romans 
as part of their defence. It was crucial to their defence of southern Scotland and of the Antonine Wall in particular. So when they completed that in the 2nd century AD, that's how far back we're going here, that's, you know... That's the furthest yep. back we've mm-hmm. ever been, yep. you know. Um, <laughs> obviously, the, the, the northern extent of the Roman Empire in the yep. British Isles was the Antonine Wall, which runs from the River Forth to the River Clyde. Yeah. And obviously they had to defend that. They had all sorts of centurions and troops and whatnot mm-hmm. defending that. And they had to move them easily from parts of England into Scotland. And this corridor that was developed between Carlisle and Glasgow was key to all that. Okay. Cool. And as it because of the topography and the and the, the nature of the ground through there, just the way the railway found the natural corridor, the road was the same. Yeah. Okay. After the demise of the Roman Empire. Much of it fell into disrepair uh, and became nothing more than paths and narrow tracks along most of its length. And it was really by the 17th century before people started to look at the road again and and, and its importance started to grow as communications became of more strategic interest to people, uh, movement of goods and things like that started see, I can, to develop. I can see that being the case, like, particularly Glasgow, mm-hmm. this heavy area of industry, you know, a, a, an important thing in a kind of the, it's imperial history that they'd want to start upgrading that, Yeah, you know. Exactly. So by the 17th century, most of the route was actually being maintained by turnpike trusts. I don't, have you heard of turnpike so, trusts? Yeah, I've heard of, well, turnpikes is basically a term for a toll road. Yeah. So the, the trusts were made up of landowners and members of the community. Basically, these groups collected tolls, as you mm-hmm. say, um, which were intended to go towards the upkeep of the road. It's it maintenance. Was, exactly. It was often the case that the trusts couldn't afford much more than basic pothole repairs. And mm. the reliability of the, this route in particular was poor and was said to be nearly impassable mm-hmm. in some locations. I can think particularly in winter, you know, yeah. I mean, it can be, the, the weather can be wild down past yeah. Betic. Yeah. Yeah. So, as is often the case in Britain, uh-huh. it was an accident that actually drove calls for improvements to the route way back then. Uh, and an incident involving a post office coach um, led to the first calls for an improvement of the road. By the early 1810s, Thomas Telford, famous UK civil engineer, mm-hmm. was asked to survey the road and report on recommendations for improvement. He, his report was produced in 1815, and he recommended an upgrade of the road and its bridges at a cost of, wait for it, £76,000. It's not too bad. <laughs> Today that equates to only about seven million, so it's still actually not a huge sum of money when you add in inflation and the like. So yeah, okay. So he reported in on the back of that recommendation, the road was widened to five point five meters. This was basically wide enough to ensure that two mail coaches could pass each other at the same time. A crossfall of one in thirty was included to improve drainage, mm-hmm. and fifteen large bridges, some of which remain in use today, were constructed. All of these works were completed by 1825. Uh, The turnpikes retained control of some sections after completion, but others, over 60 miles long in fact, were taken on by the government directly. And eight toll houses were built for collections. Three of them survive today. There's one at Hamilton, there's one at Dinwiddie Green, and there's another at Gretna. All of them are listed buildings and can still be seen from the side of the road. So these, like the, of the time, these were like the toll plazas? Yeah. That people would go and pay. And exactly. Even though that was government, it was still paying for the maintenance of the road. Correct, yes. Okay. Maintenance um, was given to men who were each responsible for sections of between one and four miles. And these guys would go along their particular length of the route and carry out cleaning, repairs, 
snow clearance, all these sorts of things. Mm. They were doing that on their own for their own dedicated section. Quite interesting. It is. It's just trying to think because obviously I work in road maintenance now and you think, oh yeah, we, we all have a little bit that we divide it up and <laughs> we look after these yeah. certain bits. No, it's interesting you know, that that's yeah. been something that's come from the past as well. Now it's this road, this improved section of road right. that eventually became the A74 and that then remained unchanged until into the 20th century. Okay. Okay. Now, the A74 number was assigned in 1923 at the same time as the other national routes. Yeah, because I think it was around about 1922, 1923, where they looked at the whole UK yep. and went, let's come up with this numbering system. Yeah, you know? exactly. Now, the final route was selected for it in 1935. And by final route, you may be aware that in those early days, between the 20s and 30s, although some routes were assigned numbers, they changed the destinations and things, you know, around for where they started, where they finished. Uh, there was a number of examples of that. Like the A737 is a good example of that. A74, it turns out, was also one. But by 1935, the final route corridor was selected and it basically ran from Glasgow through Bridgeton Cross, Mount Vernon, Muddingston, Hamilton Lark Hall, West Mahago, Abington, and then south to Carlisle through some of the major towns on, on the way mm-hmm. down through there. So like Lockerbie sense. and things exactly. like that, yeah. Exactly. The northern section, so from Lark Hall northwards, was almost entirely urban in nature and very busy, even right. in those early okay. days. Yeah. Okay. Now there were some pre-war enhancements to the A74, the single carriageway A74, particularly in the Glasgow and Lanarkshire areas, those busy areas, where some early dual carriageways were constructed. So West Mahago was one of the earliest in the south, with a new dual carriageway bypass built for the town around the 1930s. The That's very 30s. old. Yeah. That's very, yeah. very old. There was a new bridge constructed as well. So Telford's original bridge was replaced, and that was the Milton Bridge. Now, that bridge now sits just immediately west of the M74 Nethin Viaduct that oh. crosses at the same location. I know exactly where you yeah. are. Yeah. So that dual carriageway bridge is still there. Another scheme was built at Johnston Bridge, so that's further south again. And the A74 at Hamilton passed the race course, if you know that section, towards heading towards Bobo. Yeah. That was also dualed, and is another example of a section that's still operational today. So I remember were... you taking me on a tour because yeah. we'd done a drive, remember, mm-hmm. and you were like, I'm going to show you the old um, A74. Yeah. Uh, and we did. We went past yeah. the, the race course. Other sections, that. yeah. There were other sections of the A74 improved. So once you get into Glasgow, thinking of parts of London Road, yes. some dual carriageway sections yeah. of London Road, they were improved at the same time. And they, these all came... So I know the bit that goes past kind of like, if you're going to like tall cross in these kind of areas, yeah. very wide mm-hmm. there. Yeah, I know. I've exactly. Yeah. So that was all upgraded around about this time, especially in the urban areas first, yeah. which made sense because yeah. they're busy. And of course, cross-border traffic and traffic in general was on the increase. Freight was moving off the railways onto the road. And as traffic increased and the road became considerably busier, there were more calls for improvements. So almost a century after the first improvements were made, there were calls for more. Studies were undertaken by the Scottish office and various local authorities, and various upgrades started to be considered and proposed for the route. Now, by the 1950s, the need for upgrades had been accepted, and plans were developed to dual the A74 between Blackwood, just south of our call, mm-hmm. okay, north of West Mahago, all the way down to Gretna. Okay, so this was really the rural length of the A74. So you would come out of the busy urban Glasgow area through Ark Hall, past Stonehouse, Canderside. Yeah. And then from there south, they were then looking at providing a dual carriageway. Nice, easy, open ground, plenty of space to do it. Okay. Now, this dueling was done in sections, the first of which were completed by the late 1950s. 
Okay. That's, again, that's a very long pre pre motorway era. Yeah. You know, if we, if we take out stuff that happened in England. Exactly. Now, yep. further schemes followed in the early sixties. However, mm. the original aim of having all the work completed by nineteen sixty five was missed, and it was actually nineteen seventy three before the last section of drilling was completed at Gretna. So it did take a bit of time. Of course, as we've spoken about before and we discussed on the website, the funding that was available through the 50s and 60s started to dry up as we ended the 60s and went into the mm -hmm. 70s as various things changed. Yeah. Um, now, consultants such as Babti were involved in this work, the drilling work, though much of the work was designed actually in-house by the counties of Lark and Dumfries. Okay. Um Something you'll be interested in, most of this dual carriageway route that was built was provided only with at-grade junctions. Okay. Except in a handful of locations, such as at Moffat, where mm. it was always grade-separated. Now, this was very much dictated by when the section was built. So the sections completed in the late 50s, early 60s, almost entirely were at-grade Junctions. Okay, so Those, that it's just just to explain quickly for everyone, mm -hmm. that's where you're on a dual carriageway, yeah. and you'd be at these cases having to turn across the other carriageway to get onto the road and stuff like that. Exactly. You know, exactly. No flyover or anything like yeah. that. It was the later schemes that came almost entirely with grade separated junctions. Mm. So you would leave the road to cross over and go on the other routes or whatever else. A particularly nasty example of an at grade junction was the junction with the A70. At Douglas Road End. Right, okay. Um, which is now Junction 12, mm -hmm. 11 12 of the M74. So in that area there, there was a nasty at grade junction down there. Um, there were occasionally laybys provided for parking, but there was no central reservation barrier and initially no hard strips either. These were progressively added. So that if somebody had a breakdown or yeah, something like that, that, that they was they a bit of space to pull in. So it led to many accidents, and within 10 years of the completion, of the dual carriageway sections, further upgrades were being carried out. So as I say, hard strips were being added, central reservation barrier, and they started to close the gaps in the central reservation to prohibit mm. right turns. So no crossing of live traffic to it's get to... It's almost like what they've done with the A8 in Lanarkshire. Yeah. You know, after they'd done the 60s upgrade there and then gaps were closed in time. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so the road's finished. It's operating. You've got a good dual carriageway from Blackwood all the way down to the border. Albeit some accurate mm -hmm. junctions, yep. but upgrades are happening. Yep. Um, but given the exposure of sections over high ground, such as at Betuk Summit, which is over 300 metres above sea level, and with peak prevalent along much of the route, many sections required major carriageway reconstruction due to the numbers of heavy goods vehicles using the route. Mm -hmm. And by the 1980s, sections of the route experienced congestion due to summer holiday traffic particularly when roadworks were in place. So the Scottish office had this situation where some of the route was requiring upgrade, but by putting restrictions in place when the weather was better, it was causing awful congestion. From an operational point of view, the road basically was not fit for purpose. All right, so they have to go do the grass cutting and yeah. you know, then it would <laughs> the whole thing would snarl up. By this stage, the Scottish office had accepted that the entire route from Blackwood to Gretna should be improved to the same standard seen in some of the newer sections of dual carriageway. So they actually gave a commitment to providing a high-speed, all-purpose road with grade separation of all major junctions and a variety of other safety improvements considered and, and given the go-ahead. Okay? Okay. Construction of the M74 to the north and the completion of the M6 to the south left this substandard section of A74 in the middle. And this led to more calls 
particularly from politicians, for it all to be upgraded to motorway. Now, the Scottish office initially resisted this. Because Although, Was this because they, they'd spent all this time and money yep. making this dual carriageway in the 60s, and then, you know, you say the 80s, and they're like, well, we, we're going to need to make a motorway or something now. Exactly. But by 1983-84, they'd given in, and they accepted that there had to be some upgrades to motorway. And by 1987, they had agreed to upgrade the entire route to M74. Okay. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah. Now, before we discuss more about the southern sections of the M74 and the upgrading of that, we're going to talk a bit now about the Hamilton Bypass. Okay, so we're going back north again. Yeah, so we're back north. Mm-hmm. And the northern urban section of the A74 had become very busy and it was obvious it was going to be very expensive to jewel that section on a line. So to provide dual carriageway through the major towns like Hall, Hamilton, Uddingston, Bovell, it was just not feasible. There'd be a lot of property acquisition required, demolition, yeah. it was going to be very expensive. So a bypass of those towns was proposed along a line south of the River Clyde. Okay. okay. So north of those towns, Hamilton, Uddingston, Lark Hall, but south of the River Clyde. Now, this was first outlined in the Clyde Valley, Clyde Valley Regional Plan, sorry, of 1949. Um, that's the Abercrombie report. Yep. Yep. So even as early as the, as the late 40s, he realised that the, this major route going through all these towns wasn't going to work in the long term. And the actual easiest way to do it was to provide a new bypass through the rural agricultural land north of those towns. Mm-hmm. Far cheaper, easier to build. Of course. Okay. And better, you know, environmentally better as well. You can't take the traffic out of the town. Yeah, exactly. Now, by the 1950s, more definitive plans had been outlined by the County of Lanark, and it was generally accepted that the road would be built to motorway standards, special road status as, as it was. At various points in the 1950s, roads orders were published. The plans didn't progress much. This changed considerably after April 1956, when responsibility for trunk roads in Scotland passed to the Scottish office. Prior to that, it was the Ministry of Transport mm-hmm. in London who oversaw all trunk roads across the UK. UK. Yep. Now, significant progress was made in 1960 with the appointment of Bob T. Sean Morton to undertake a traffic study centred on Hamilton. Hamilton being the main county town, busiest town in Lanarkshire at that point. This found that vehicles um, travelling through Hamilton and the other towns would be gridlocked by 1980 if improvements were not made quickly. That's only 20 years away from the, the report date at that time. Better get the shovels out. Exactly. Yeah. It accepted the need for the bypass on the same line as that previously uh, proposed and agreed with the need for it to be constructed to motorway standards. The road would run from the end of the dual carriage with A74 at Blackwood. So they've, they've finished this nice upgrade. So they've got a nice end point to tie into. So that's kind of roughly near the Junction 8 area. Mm-hmm. As, yep. as just, just to bring anyone in the picture at the mm-hmm. moment wondering where it is. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's the current Junction 9, incidentally. Um, so Junction 9. Draffin. Draffin, yeah. yeah. What we know as Draffin was the end of the, okay. the, Blackwood, the Blackwood Bypass. Um, so the road would run from the end of the dual carriageway at Blackwood, bypassing the, the major towns we discussed, before rejoining the A74 at Maryville, near the Glasgow city boundary. So that's yeah. Mount Vernon. Yeah. So you know the area where Glasgow Zoo used to be. Yeah. It's basically the motorway. Junction 4. There. Yeah, exactly. Other roads were also recommended as part of that study. M73, A725, roads like that. Yeah. We'll discuss those at another time. The proposed bypass was 13 miles long, so, you know, fairly significant length. Um, 
it was going to be dual two-lane motorway from junction six to nine. And mm-hmm. dual three-lane motorway from junction four to six. I'm using modern junction numbers here to give people the yeah. idea where we're Because it already confused about. me earlier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Exactly. And extensive interchanges were required at junction six, Mother yeah. junction five, Wraith, and junction four, Maryville. Uh, basically, the, these interchanges were with new roads. So the M73, the A725, as mentioned, for junction four and five. And of course, the Glasgow Urban System, which was being designed separately, also needed to tie in to, all this. to these things because of course as everyone knows there were huge highway proposals yeah. for this kind of and area consideration was made for that the the largest interchange proposed was at junction 6 at mm-hmm. Motherwell Hamilton with A723 because of the sheer amount of traffic going both between those two towns and also joining the motorway there to head towards Glasgow so yeah. there's free flow links in all directions and it's an octopus type junction it, provided that's there. right one well, of the largest in Scotland it is it's a big one and only over two levels Yes, it's not. It's it doesn't kind of impede on the landscape too exactly. much. Exactly, absolutely. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. right. Um, two major river crossings were also required in the motorway: one at Avon, just south of Junction Six, and one with the Clyde, just south of Junction Five. Okay, and actually, extensive river diversion works were undertaken as part of the construction of the motorway as well. I remember seeing the video of yeah. that. Yep, huge project. Design work was completed by 1963. Construction in Stage One, which was the southern two-lane section began in June 1964, with Stage 2 following in June, uh, June 1965. Uh, Christian, sorry, you're going to... This, this southern section mm-hmm. um, that you get, we're talking about from the present, uh, say, Junction 6, mm-hmm. where, 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 well... Was it was a drafting, yeah. It was concrete. Not entirely. It's parts of it were, were mm-hmm. constructed as concrete. Because mm-hmm. I remember seeing the video and they had this concrete laying train um, in, in some of those sections with, with a kind of an under a road underheating. I don't think yeah. it ever really worked. You're, but, you're getting ahead of me here. I'm, like, I'm yeah. ruining it. I'm sorry, that's... but you, you, you didn't show me all your notes. You're like, I'll deal with that. But no, that that's just something I thought that was really mm-hmm. cool and it just came into my mind after we've seen that, that wonderful yeah. video that we've got. Oh, on, no, on absolutely, it. yeah. So I've got a wee bit... Oh, I'm coming to that. Promise, I'm coming to that. I'll just <laughs> okay. I'll give you some contractor details first. Right. Uh, so stage one, so junction six to nine, that was a, a Christiani Shand joint venture, a scheme value of eight point five million pounds. And uh, stage two from Hamilton up to Maryville was Tarmac Civil Engineering at a cost of seven and a half million pounds. Today the combined value would be about three hundred and five million, probably just what you would expect for a thirteen mile long motorway. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you know. Fairly reasonable. Uh, big projects uh, constructed simultaneously uh, with stage one open to traffic in December 1966 and then stage two followed in two halves. So the section between Hamilton and Wraith opened in May 1968 and the final section from Wraith to Maryville opened in August 1968. Now, the scheme had many Scottish firsts for motorways. It had its first dual three-lane motorway. It did. Yep, yep. Um, it had its first concrete carriageway, which was a trial between Junction 6 and 7. And although it was a trial, it ultimately remained in place until the year 2001. So it, it lasted probably far longer than they expected. Mm-hmm. And it used a German method of construction. And there was a special plant that was actually shipped in um, yeah. to, to construct that. I thought it lasted a bit longer than 2001. It could have been that there's some remnants of it were there are after you, that. Are you maybe getting confused with the section between Junction 9 and 10 down at West Yeah, because there, there was other concrete sections, yeah. wasn't there? Yeah. We're going to talk about that shortly. Okay. Okay. Um, there were also a couple of steel box girder bridges that were constructed as part of the, the motorway. Wraith Bridge in particular 
was one of the first in the country that used the, the sort of launching system where the, the, right. the girders were brought in and then pushed out from mm-hmm. the ends and they met in the middle. Like, a, like, yeah, like a rail and a train yeah. system they push it out. Kind of what they've done with Queensbury. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So that was a first for Scotland. And also the three-level interchange at Maryville mm-hmm. was Scotland's first motorway-to-motorway connection. Well, if we don't count the M90 and the A823M, I suppose, but... The uh, M- <laughs> all once game, I don't... <laughs> uh, one, yeah, the A823M's a spur, so mm-hmm. yeah, no, that's fine. Exactly. So. <laughs> and, it was, and it was the first three-level interchange mm-hmm. um, built in Scotland at that time as well. Yeah. I think it remained the largest until the completion of Bailiston. Bailiston or Craigend, one of the two. Yeah, yeah. But I think Bailiston pipped Craigend to the post, and although Bailiston's still bigger because it's four level, but yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was that was also interesting. Um, some facts on the Hamilton bypass before we go back to the southern sections. Did you know that originally the junctions were numbered from south to north? So junction one was down at the bottom at Draffin. And the numbers increased all the way up to Maryville. I did know they changed the junction. They, they did, yes, I did know because it was swapped around. Um, and it's a strange thing they do that because they probably thought, well, there's eventually going to be more motorway coming later on. But I suppose that's what they had at the time. Only one junction has the same number now. <laughs> You're not going to give me some quiz on this. That though. it had <laughs> when it was first completed. Do you know what one it is? Um, is it six? No. Oh. <laughs> it's Wraith five so was Wraith, always five five was always five yes so there you go there's a fact for you oh, Motherwell okay. was four originally and then became six okay mm-hmm. okay so there you go we share the most interesting of facts on this podcast <laughs> we certainly do yeah uh, and as I mentioned earlier the octopus type junction is the only one in Scotland um, oh we also had service areas Mm-hmm. constructed although they didn't come till the 80s they were always planned so we had the northbound so one Hamilton that's right Hamilton and southbound Bothwell yeah. they were planned from day one but for various reasons it took another 15 years to actually get them constructed and I've always opened. wondered why they didn't do it as a one site with an overbridge type thing and having these these separate type facilities it was to do with it's probably the, the constraints of what it was, was the there. constraints yeah because at Bothwell you couldn't do the north because you had property to the north yeah. sorry, sorry to the south of the motorway and at Hamilton you couldn't do east of the motorway or north of the motorway because of the river yeah so you were constrained you're right you were constrained I've also been puzzled that it's quite near to Glasgow anyway, but you know, not really intended for the Glasgow bound traffic, more for the north to south tourist traffic. Of and course, because the, the they were probably the going in. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Okay, for those who were just skirting the the urban centre, hmm. um, uh, and of course, uh, between 2014 and 2017, the Hamilton bypass was extensively upgraded, so uh, it's now dual four lane. Um, North of Junction 5 yeah. and dual four lane from Junction 4 all the way down to Junction 6. Except mm. for that really annoying bit at the services where it drops a lane and then gains a lane. Yes. At, at so irritating that, really is. It really Very is. bad. So, somebody, somebody, but there is a reason for that. That's there is. We're not going to go into that here, but yeah, it's quite annoying. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. You're comfortable with the Hamilton bypass? Very comfortable with that. I think it's a great bit of road, Stuart. Mm-hmm. You know? Okay, let's go back south. Okay, so so what year are we in now? So we're, we're 1968, we're right. leaving Glasgow. Okay. And we come out of Glasgow, we take the, the urban A74 all the way up through Mount Vernon, London Road, blah, blah, blah. We get to Maryville. Yes. We join a nice dual three-lane motorway. 
Mm-hmm. That continues to Hamilton. We then go down to Jewel Two Lane, and that continues to Draffin, which is a couple of miles south of the existing Junction Eight. Remember that section with the split carriageways with the trees down the middle at Canderside Moss. Yes, mm-hmm. I know it. Yep. So Draffin was just south of there. And there used to be a wee junction there where you, you could... can still see remnants yeah. of this from if you look on uh, satellite view, yeah. you can see the old terminus. So there was a slip road there, and the, the underbridge all contributed to that. Was the end of the motorway? That was the terminus, and it also provided a connection between the parallel B seven zero seven eight. Yes, at that stage, south of there was A seventy four dual carriageway, Blackwood Bypass. Yeah. Okay. Now another interesting fact for you: the Blackwood Bypass originally curved around come back to the east and it's now a very long slip road as part of Junction 9 for the M74 it's almost a road in itself when you go off at Junction Mm -hmm. 9 yeah Um, so that dual carriage that was dual carriage with A74 continued all the way around there and then met the existing dual carriageway that went towards Les Mahago from there. Yeah, that's right. So if you're going south and you need to get to Les Mahago, mm-hmm. you, you actually take nine yeah. and go down the old road. Because ten is limited access. Ten's limited that You can't yeah. go off at ten. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so that's how things were in 1967. Yeah. 68 time, okay? Now, almost immediately after the completion of Hamilton Bypass, there were calls for more motorway construction to the south, particularly around Les Mahago, where the existing dual carriageway passed in front of properties and near the town centre. Yeah. Okay. So it had been built in the 1930s, very early days. Obviously, Les Mahigo had become busier, a lot of frontage, these sorts of things caused delays, congestion, and the like. Mm-hmm. So, in 1973, the Scottish Development Department asked Lanark County Council to begin investigations into an extension of the motorway to Mill Bank, which is just south of the A70 Air Edinburgh Road. Mm-hmm. Right. This was partly driven by planning for the Stonehouse Newtown, which was ultimately cancelled in the late 1970s, but also due to the poor accident rate at two busy junctions along this stretch. The A70 junction that I mentioned earlier mm-hmm. was one of those. Okay. Now, development passed the Strathclyde Regional Council in 1975 when the new local authorities came in, and work continued late into the decade. Several corridors were identified both east and west of the existing A74, and the confirmed route, published in 1978, included an online upgrade of the Blackwood Bypass, which had only been completed in 1963, and a new offline section from there down to Mill Bank. A public local inquiry was held in December 1981, and eventually it was decided that the motorway would be constructed in three stages. Stage 1, from Junction 10 to 11, Stage 2, from Junction 8 to 10, and Stage 3, from 11 to 12. Okay. And that became known. So we had the Draffin to um, Les Mahago, and we had Ponyl to Mill. Uh, yeah, we had Ponyl to Millbank, and we had mm-hmm. the Ponyl scheme as well in there. Um, I'm going to cover some dates on that shortly as well. Uh, stages one and two uh, were completed in October 1986, and in the 3rd of November 1987. So within a couple of years. So by 1987, the motorway was then extended all the way down to Millbank. Which is junction uh, well, twelve? Junction twelve. Your Millbanks yes. is Millbank eleven and Ponyl's twelve. I think that's the way it goes. Ponyl's eleven, Millbanks twelve. So it's the other way around. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. it. Uh, now the scheme, almost ten miles long, costs thirty-five million pounds, which would be about hundred million today. Uh, main features of this particular project were the concrete pavement constructed between junction ten and eleven. Uh, this remained in place until around two thousand and ten. The reason it was constructed was because the cheapest tenderer, who was Norwest Holst, who built the road, 
they actually put in a proposal um, that was far cheaper than the other flexible pavement systems that you know would typically have been used. So it wasn't used there for any ground conditions or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was simply it was commercial reasons. Yeah, yeah, it was commercial reasons. And although it had no joints in it, you know, it was continuously reinforced. Yeah, it was still very noisy. It was. Uh, and when it yeah. started to break up, the maintenance of it became a bit of a nightmare. Oh, it is, yeah, yeah. because a pothole on a concrete road is an absolute nightmare. Yeah, you know? exactly. Nothing bonds to it. Oh, I know. <laughs> uh, you're right. Now, there was only one uh, major structure on that on that length for the, the motorway, and that was the, the Nethan Viaduct. Nethan Viaduct, yeah. That I mentioned before. Can yeah. I chuck something in here briefly? Yeah, you go ahead. So I deal with some winter maintenance things at work. Um, a particular section there you've got to really watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you go down to Junction 10, you're heading southbound and the, the hill hill goes. And Honestly, if the weather gets bad down there. Yeah. The HGVs get stuck. You've had it, yeah. um, to be honest with you. So I know Nethan Viaducts very, very well because mm-hmm. it is around that. Because yeah. it's quite a dip at Junction 10 before it then starts. It. You go down to Junction 10 and you go up again. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just in that section. I was struggling a wee bit earlier there to remember the the contract name for Junction 10 because we know it was Les Mahago, but they referred to it as Wellburn. So so it was Draffin to Wellburn, Wellburn to Ponyo and Ponyo to Millbank. Draffin to Wellburn was constructed by a Munkin company, uh, Norwest Hole Scotland Limited for Wellburn to Ponyo and Watlings Civil Engineering Limited for Ponyo to Millbank. Good old Watlings. We will say that. So no, that's fun. And it's got some lovely concrete lined ditches in that section. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> what did I say earlier about facts in this podcast? <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. In the case of this southern extension, the existing E74 dual carriageway was retained as an all-purpose side road. Okay? Yep. So for agricultural vehicles, access to the service area at Cairn Lodge, which mm-hmm. existed at that point, and various other bits and bobs, they decided to keep the dual carriageway as is. And did, did you know, actually, that dual carriageway remained almost untouched until fairly recently. It is still kind of there. Yeah. Um, you go, but it's it, a lot of it's kind of hatched off and things like that, but there and are sort sections of it. Much yeah. of it has now been converted to cycleways. Sustrans have given mm-hmm. South Lanarkshire Council money to convert some of the carriageways into cycleways and footways. Yeah. So that much of it now between particularly 10 and 11 is all gone, but the section mm-hmm. through Les Mahago is still there, but hatched off, as you say. Okay, the story continues. In May 1987... The UK government announced that the rest of the A74, which is roughly 60 miles, would be upgraded to motorway standard. Calls had never gone away for the upgrade, and much of the existing route by this stage was in need of expensive, extensive maintenance anyway. Feasibility studies started later that year and were completed only 18 months later. What followed? (laughs) What followed was an intense period of design and construction unlike anything seen in Scottish road building before or since. The timescales were unprecedented. Yeah. To future-proof the route, it was decided to construct it as dual three-lane motorway. Yeah. And crucially, an all-purpose road would be provided for cyclists, traffic on tourist routes, agricultural vehicles and the like. That's right, and you see it there. Yeah. And there, that was a new route that was built. And that's the B7071 and the B7078. Yeah. Single carriageway, has to be said. Crucial, all the same. Mm-hmm. Wonderful diversion route. Yeah. In May 1989, now, May 1987, we decide we're going to do this. Only two years later, it was announced that the first three schemes to be fast-tracked, and I'm going to explain what that means in a second, ahead of the remaining route, um, would be, one, 
Millbank to Nether Abington. Two, Kirkpatrick Fleming to Gretna. And three, Elvin Foote to Paddy's Rickle. By 1990, three years later, they were under construction. It's amazing. If you consider it to some modern schemes, you know. Works on the remaining sections proceeded quickly as well, with design and environmental work being given to various consultants, including some of our old favourites from Glasgow, Scott Wilson, Kirkpatrick, W.A. Fairhurst and Partners, and Babti. Yep. Holfords, of Glasgow fame as well, were given architect- architectural and landscaping input. Mm-hmm. I never saw some of these things. Well. Yeah. Now, I mentioned fast tracking. Now, what fast tracking meant was that activities normally undertaken sequentially were completed in parallel. So this included design and ground investigations, community engagement, and even in some cases, procurement and tendering were all undertaken at the same time. Now, in some cases, alternative options were devised in case the preferred scheme was found to be unsuitable. Okay, so they were almost building in some in case, contingency. In case we can't go that, keep that in the drawer there. Exactly. Yeah. Now, there was a degree of risk of abortive work with this right. process, but it actually didn't happen to any notable degree. Intense negotiations with landowners and others avoided the need for any lengthy public inquiries. Yeah, it sounded like they went to a real good common sense solution with this and got yeah. right. We need to build this road and get it quickly. Yeah. Let's all get let's all double down. Yeah. Now, you know, this would never have worked in an urban area. No, but because you're in a rural location, agricultural land, no property acquisition, demolition, yeah. anything like that required. Far easier to contemplate this type of process. You know, for taking forward a project to this scale, mm-hmm. it worked very well. Now, by 1995. Only eight years after they announced they were going to upgrade the route, a further nine contracts had been completed, with the route progressively extending south from Millbank and north from the border. Parallel widening was used, and what this meant was traffic was progressively moved from the old road to new sections of the road, reducing the overall footprint of the construction site. Yeah. Two lanes were maintained at peak times, and this basically went entirely without a hitch. Although, on one contract, an Italian contractor, Castelli Girola, was replaced mid-contract in the Eaglesfield section by Morrison Construction due to poor performance. This scheme was a year late as a result. It was the only disaster on the entire project. Uh, much publicised in the press at the time, I might add. I could just imagine working on that monster down in those conditions yeah. and then winter kicks in. Exactly. And it, it would have been a, a, a tremendous undertaking. That I mean... I've got a fact for you as well on them. That okay. was the first time that a Scottish roads construction project had been opened up to European tender. So, of course, when Britain joined the single market and yes. that came in, that meant that companies from across... As, as in case you have an Italian yep. contractor... Companies could, from across the EU could bid for work in any of the member states of the EU, and that's exactly what happened here. And the Italians, in fairness to them, they did suffer. I think it was a bit beyond their capability at yeah. that time. But things still get finished, and, and it was all done well, fairly Fair quickly. play, they had a go. Yeah. Yeah. Now, by early 1995, it was confirmed that the final 18-mile section between Paddy's Rickle, which is south of Elven Foot, okay, so south of 14. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so the section between Paddy's Rickle um, and Cluch Bray, which is south of Moffat. Yeah. That whole 18 mil section was going to be completed using 
the private finance initiative, which people so obviously P- P- know. PFI. PFI, yeah. Um, not only was PFI going to pay for the construction, but on completion, the winning contractor would be required to take on the maintenance of the entire route from Junction 12 all the way to the Scottish border for a period of 30 years. Now, this is what's known as a design, build, finance and operate contract. Yeah. This was the first of its type in Scotland. And now, of course, we have it on the M80 yep. section at Cumbernauld, mm-hmm. and we also have it um, on the M8 between Ayliston and, and the M77. As well. And the, the M77, the there. Connect section, yeah. Yep. Exactly. So, again, a first. A first. first. Yep. Okay. Now, the £190 million contract was signed in late April 1997, just days before the general election of that year. Uh, it was awarded to Autolink PLC, which was a concessionary company made up of Amy, Barr, Innisfree, Robert McAlpine and Taylor Woodrow. This has changed over the years, Robert McAlpine now being the main partner in that. Mm-hmm. Now, by getting that approval to proceed before the general election, it meant that had there been a change of government, which ultimately there was, that there would be no review of contracts or anything like that. So work was able to proceed despite the change in government. And mm-hmm. as we've discussed many times, changes in government often lead to reviews. And in particular, and, there was yeah. no more tempestuous time than the... The 90s. The, the 1997 yeah. when, when New Labour came in. Yeah, because there was a complete roads review yeah. following that. Yeah. Works on that particular project began in July 1997 and were completed on the 30th of April 1999. That was less than 12 years after the upgrade of that 60 miles was first approved. That's incredible. Phenomenal. You know. Strangely enough, Autolink will hand the motorway back to the Scottish Government and Transport Scotland in 2027. That's how far through that 30-year period we are already. Now, the southern section cost over £500 including maintenance costs uh, at that time, which equates now to about £800 Personally speaking, I don't think that's bad for 60 miles of dual three-lane motorway. It's not, but if you consider the fact, like you say, it's mostly agricultural and mm-hmm. some, there were some significant civil engineering challenges you have with that. But we're talking about £2 billion for the upgrade of the A9, which yes. is a fairly similar but project. You, but you know why now, because design standards and all the things mm. considered that when you design a new road and also yeah. to the standard that they're doing the A9, oh yeah, okay, it's not motor, but it's mm-hmm. expressway. It is. It's not quite. Yeah, it is apples and oranges to a way. There's a lot more things considered now yeah. that cost a lot of money, and particularly on the consulting side, that cost a heck of a lot more mm-hmm. money than they did back in the day. So the point I would make is a very efficient project with yes. very efficient methods of procurement and design yeah. and construction. And when you think about it, in the period from 1984 to 1999, 15 years, we constructed almost 70 miles. Of motorway. Yeah. Phenomenal rate of construction, design, procurement, and all of it to a very, very high standard. Yeah. Amongst the best it, motorways in Scotland. It is. It's, it's a pleasure to drive. I mean, I've had some people turn around and say, oh, well, you know, it's a bit of a waste having the third lane there. We could use that third lane elsewhere. Yeah, but you know what? It's nice. Yeah. You don't suddenly get held up by an HGV pulling out to overtake. Mm-hmm. It is a pleasant drive, you know? Yeah. A couple of facts and figures about, about the southern sections, because I know people will be interested. So we had three service areas constructed, one at Abington, one at Annandale, and one at Gretna. Yeah. Roughly 20 miles apart. The Gretna loyalists, I always stop there. Okay. <laughs> now, there is a bit of an anomaly here, and it's something we need to discuss. Okay. So, 
when this section was completed, you nice lovely motorway all the way from Glasgow all the way to the Scottish border. And you then hit this dreadful six-mile section of A74 dual carriageway, north of Carlisle. So between the border and Carlisle, you had this six-mile-long dual carriageway. Well, hold on a minute. That's in England. Yeah, it is. But, but we this is the Scottish it. roads yeah. cast. We have to cross the border every now and again just to discuss <laughs> okay, these fair facts. enough. Right. In that original PFI contract, an allowance was made for the Autolink contractor to upgrade that six-mile length of A74 in England and then take it on to maintain it as well. And the option was there for the highways agency to do it. Mm. Now, this is one area where the change in government in 1997 did have an effect because the new government decided not to take up that option, despite several repeated late pleas by Autolink to do it. say do it. And this was infamously known as the Cumberland Gap. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Now, had that section been completed as planned, you would then have a continuous motorway from the M6 all the way to Glasgow. Mm -hmm. The original proposal was to renumber the M74 to M6. Yeah. Okay. All the way up. All the way up. Eventually, they changed tact a bit, and the M6 was only going to run as far as Abington, mm-hmm. where the fast link proposal, which we'll discuss in another podcast, would have run off and approached the M8 at Whitburn. Yep. The M74 would have continued towards Glasgow. Okay. That ultimately didn't happen. Now, going back to that section of A74, it was eventually completed in December 2008. Um, by the time it was finished, things had moved on, devolution had come in, there was no appetite to renumber the, the route as M6 at that mm-hmm. point for various reasons. Now, that created a bit of a, a route number anomaly, which is much discussed on Roads Interest websites. <laughs> and, and a lot of people wonder Saber. why. Yeah. yeah. So we've referred to the M74, but technically south of Junction 13, it's yeah. A74M. Yes. Now, there's a reason for that. Because the route was not all upgraded at once, there was a situation for a time where you were going from A74 onto motorway and back to A74, then onto motorway, then back to A74, and so on. That, from a common sense point of view, made sense to stick an M in the end. You weren't going to have mm-hmm. A74 M6, A74 M6, A74 M6. Yeah. This had been seen elsewhere in Britain when sections were upgraded progressively. You number the bits between the aerodes. As with, with an M. With the M. Yeah. That's uh-huh. exactly what like happened A1M. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, of course, when the M74 was, the A74 upgrade was finished, and we had A74 from there to the border, the theory was the final six-mile six section would have been done in England, then the whole thing would have been converted over. That obviously didn't happen, and that's why we're left with A74M. Now, to anyone who had interest, it basically is M74, because the junction numbers continue from the M74. Yeah. It's basically the way the legal orders on, are produced and numbered. They are still legally A74M. Yeah. So it would require a change, an order to change the number. Maybe that'll happen at some point. Who, who knows? knows? Does anyone really care, though? Exactly. Do people care? I don't people know. don't say, oh, I'm on the A74M and now I'm on the M74. No, it's just, mm-hmm. I'm taking the M74. Now, that wasn't the end of the story for the M74 because we had Northern extensions as well. We did. Um, it was always intended that the M74 would proceed all the way into Glasgow. Up to the Glasgow boundary was designed as early 1973, as we mentioned before. Glasgow's Highway Plan, published in 1965, had a Hamilton motorway which joined the inner Ring Road East flank at Glasgow Green. This was controversial, had numerous revisions during the 1970s, and eventually a rethink was ordered. In the 1980s, the Hamilton Road route was developed, which included various options including non-motorways, dual carriageways and the like. But worsening traffic in the M8 meant that action was needed. The trunk section moved forward slowly, being re-announced in 1984. 
Slow progress, particularly due to issues in selecting final routes for the section within Glasgow, really slowed things down. Um, and by 1988, Strathclyde Regional Council had pr proposed the M74 Northern extension to be delivered in the 1990s in two stages. This rerouted the motorway away from the most built-up areas through the industrial sites alongside the West Coast Main Line, south of Glasgow city centre. Now, stage one between Maryville and Fullerton Road followed quickly and was started in 1992. Fairly simple project to deliver, mm. dual three-lane motorway with only a few structures and through an empty quarry. It opened in April 1994. I remember that when it stopped just at Fullerton Road. Yeah. Now, stage two was much more contentious and saw considerable protest. At times, Strathclyde Region were proposing up to dual five-lane motorway and with junctions at all major routes. Mm -hmm. This project also would have had a direct connection to the Kingston Bridge. Yeah. The original start envisaged for 1995 was delayed by political changes. Strathclyde Region was first dissolved. Mm -hmm. The local authorities such as Glasgow City Council South Lanarkshire came into being, but not only that, within three years we then had devolution, the Scottish Executive came along, and there was a lot of rethinking ordered. Yeah. So we were back to the drawing board in 1999. The Scottish Office... Sorry, Scottish Executive eventually granted approval to the project in 2001. Glasgow City Council were named as the lead uh, of the project with input from South Lanarkshire Council and Renfrewshire Council as well. Each of these bodies funded specific elements. Now this is interesting. So the original Strathclyde proposal was that there would be junctions at each of the major routes along the corridor. Cathcart Road, Bombardier Road, etc, etc. Yeah. The Scottish Executive started to be a bit harder on new road construction because they were trying to constrain traffic growth. It was definitely of that, that, that era that they were doing things like that. Mm -hmm. So as part of the deal with Glasgow City Council and the others, the Scottish Executive said, OK, we will fund a dual two-lane motorway from the Kingston Bridge to Fullerton Road with no junctions. So but of course the councils went, that's no good to us. That'll help your strategic traffic, but That's it won't help That's just like, a, like an expressway type thing, yeah. Exactly. So what happened? Glasgow City Council agreed to pay for the third lane. Yeah. South Lanarkshire Council agreed to fund Campus Lang Junction, and Renfrewshire Council paid for the junction at Palmody Road. Mm-hmm and other various bits and bobs. There was an agreement that covered all so the So the councils costs. all banded together to kind of dip their hands in their pockets and go, well, we're making this road, yeah. let's do it right. Yeah. So each of them funded specific elements, basically. Mm -hmm. um, progress, reasonably fast after that. Investigations in 2003, a public inquiry in 2004, which was much publicised and was a bit of a pantomime, it has to be said. Yeah. The route eventually was approved in March 2005 against the recommendations of the public inquiry. I mean, this route was mm. happening. It was know? happening. Remember, this, this, this is an urban motorway they're building. Yeah, exactly, you know? yeah. There was a legal challenge uh, which lasted until the summer of 2006 and was eventually thrown out. And eventually Transport Scotland were able to tender the route thereafter. The mm. construction finally began in May 2008 and was completed in 2011. And of course, at that stage, we then had continuous motorway from the M8 at Glasgow all the way down through Carlisle, all the way down to Birmingham, all the way to London. All the way to London, I was going to exactly. say. All the way to Dover. Yeah. yeah. Now, there was many impressive structures along this route. Probably the last urban motorway that will be built in the British Isles. Probably. Don't way. say that. I'll start crying. But yeah, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> uh, some some uh, interesting facts and figures here. It continued the tradition of having the Glasgow-type sign gantries yes. within the Glasgow area, as we've seen. However, it came at a high cost, over £700 million, in fact, at that time. But... 
It did take up to 30,000 vehicles a day off the M8. It's been a godsend. There's no yeah. one who'll say anything bad about it. No. You know? Exactly. Over 10 years later, it's still providing a viable alternative route around the city. Mm-hmm. Um, coming into it from the Lanarkshire experience, and my experience of trying to travel from Hamilton, say, to Paisley, mm-hmm. um, journeys that could have taken an hour and a half in a bad day via the M8, M73, were cut to 25 minutes. People said that to the airport, it was huge. I can see why Renfrewshire wanted a big stake in it as well. Exactly. Yeah. Huge benefits for everyone. Massive project. In the space of 80 years, we went from a single track road to a multi-lane motorway. And and there you go. Yeah. And that's it. Fantastic. I mentioned we might talk about the future. A subject comes up often. It's what you... Do you know what? I'm going to segue to a question, Mm -hmm. all right? Because it's... It asks about the future, okay? Yeah. Um, so we got some questions through on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And um, Robert Kilcoin, who's tweeted us quite a few times with questions. Hello again, Robert. Um, has asked, why has the M74 never been upgraded to three-lane motorway between between Hamilton and uh, Douglas Millbank? So he's talking about that existing two-lane section there. Now, I'll explain the problem you do have a bit of a bottleneck there mm-hmm. where, you know, you've gone from like a three and four lane motor at one side down to two lane and then, you know, back beyond 12, it goes back up to three yeah. lane. So, of course, the original reason it was built with two lanes was because traffic flows at that time did not justify three lanes. And that's fair enough. Yeah. yeah. The reason it hasn't been upgraded to three lane since is basically the political appetite for it's not there. Now, we know that the, the, the Conservative government that went out in 1997 they had already announced that all sections of dual two-lane M74 would be progressively upgraded to three lanes, mm. just as they were going to do with the M8 between Newhouse right. and Newbridge. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, the government changed. New government came in, new priorities. It very much fell down the agenda. Yeah. Not only that, the Scottish Parliament coming in, the Scottish government, they had a number of other priorities to consider as well. You think we at that time we still did not have a complete central Scotland motorway system. So the M80 completion, the yes. M74 completion, the, the M8, M8 Bailston Newhouse, these schemes all took priority. Yeah, because you see that, well, there's already a blue line on the map there, boys. So yeah. why would we need to go? Surely it's better to build a new road somewhere than yeah. do that. But what, what comes of the future of that? I mean, like I said, you, you're sitting in a situation just now where it is quite, yeah. busy um, at either end I mean this is a very old section of mm-hmm. motorway particularly around about the junction 6 to junction 7 yeah. junction 8 area well, you know could do with an upgrade from a maintenance point of view I mean mm-hmm. we can only speculate yeah exactly but I, I think based on the way thinking is at the moment uh, with goals to reduce traffic and journeys mm-hmm. by 30% I think it's unlikely that we'll be widening it to three lanes anytime soon I think the hope would be that traffic flows would start to Drop a bit, yeah, Mm. plateau certainly first. And then really the network that we have already should be adequate to cope with it. Um, I think if if for some reason that doesn't happen and traffic growth continues, I personally find very unlikely. Mm. Um, But there's always goods vehicles and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there is a drive to push a lot of that onto rail again. Oh, that that old chestnut. Yep. So I think the next 10 years or so are going to be interesting. And if traffic doesn't grow and the route continues to operate as is, it'll never be wide into three lanes. I, I, I tend to agree, yeah. to be honest with you, even even if things come bad. What's more likely is that lane two is hatched off and turned into a cyclway. Mm-hmm. But you so- know what? <laughs> what did we say? That corridor has been in route for at least, uh, in use for at least 2,000 years. Yep. So the next 10, 20 years are nothing. That corridor is going to continue to be a key link across these islands. 
Who knows? I yeah. bet when the Romans were back doing their roads cast mm-hmm. at the time, they never would have seen this <laughs> this motorway in the future. Who and, knows? And what about 200 you know? years from now when somebody... Our, our great, 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 yeah. great grandchildren. After we're long gone, I'll be talking about yeah. what they've then got at that point. So Long history, yeah, behind it and a, certainly a big future ahead A big of future it. ahead of it. Yeah. yeah. Robert's mm-hmm. got another question. Um, he, he just says here, so he says, why did it take so long for the, for Gretna and Gretna Green to be bypassed? Is, is he specifically referring to the Cumberland Gap, which you've just spoken about? Either that or the fact that it was 1973 before that dual carriageway was completed. Remember, that was the final section to yeah. be done. And I think, again, it comes back to this typical UK situation where I believe the, dual, the single carriageway section through there was one of the last bits to have been upgraded prior to that. Yeah. So it was in the least need of being done at I that stage. Yeah. Okay. So that, that answers that one. That's I hope. fine. Harriet's got. A, I think it's well. It's a question and a statement here. Mm-hmm. Until Twitter says, "Why is everyone so obsessed with the old A seventy four? And uh, now that you're not just <laughs> not just Glasgow and not just motorways, will you be giving it more attention? Well, we've had a great discussion about it today, mm-hmm. um, Harriet, and. Yeah, we're going to certainly talk about more more, way, more roads that are outside of, of the Glasgow area. That's the point of it. Yeah. Uh, we've looked at these things. So, no, if you if you like this, you're going to love some of the stuff that we've I got coming up. I think the love for it and the desire to know more about it comes from nostalgia. Uh, lots you know, of people who remember it were probably kids at the time and they were going on trips and holidays and things yeah. like that. And that's where that interest comes but from. But from an archive point of view, Stuart, I found it um, very... Um, it, it's it's not been something we, we've had a lot of info on. No. You've had to work hard to get that. Oh, yeah. There's certainly a lot... Uh, there's not many photos of it either, mm-hmm. you know? No, exactly. So, um, well, I hope everybody's enjoyed this particular podcast. It has been a bit of a quick trip through the history of the A74M74. For such a huge subject. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to take the opportunity to remind people on the website there are three particular articles relating to the M74 you'd be interested in. There's the M74 route page, uh-huh. and there are articles on the Hamilton Bypass and the M74 completion. Yeah. Check those out. I also need to say a big thank you to our supporters. Yes. East for the Excavations, Highway Barriers Solutions Scotland, and also Merson Group as well for their ongoing support. Thank you. Without them, we would not be here. No, we would not. And we- thank you to all the listeners and supporters and, fo- and followers on social media. Yeah. Now, as always, you can find all these podcasts on the usual places, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the like. Leave us a review. We're always keen to hear what you think. Gives yep. us a bit more exposure. Absolutely. And as always, we are there on social media. So check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for all kinds of stuff we're sharing now across Scotland. And we'll be back in a few weeks' time with another episode of the Scottish Roadcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye.